Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week. Going to guide you gently through another show and uh, got a great guest this week. We've got Eric Ashey, who's uh, president of Potential Energy, which is a climate nonprofit. So, Eric, welcome to the show and con- congrats on your new role. You just started as president, uh, coming over from the Truth Initiative. So, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. This is day three. So you're catching me very, very early on the learning curve. But yeah, I'm, ex- okay. I'm, I'm excited to be here. We will bear that in mind. But uh, looking forward to chatting and um, finding out more about potential energy. And we're, as usual, we've got Frank Washcook here, who's our uh, executive editor. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. It's a pleasure. Lots to chat about as well as talking to Eric. We've got Edelman's numbers. They've uh, they almost hit that billion-dollar mark, so had a great year last year. We, we'll find out about Omnicom's results as well. They've uh, published their full-year numbers. 360 PR has made its first acquisition. We'll get the full skinny on that. And we're ramping up for Super Bowl weekend, so we'll find out what brands are doing around uh, the biggest uh, marketing uh, set piece of the year there's a continuing controversy around joe rogan which we've been covering and pets in pr has launched the big news of the week so we'll, we'll talk about that as well but uh, eric first of all tell us about potential energy you spent a long time at the truth initiative did some great work there that was an anti-tobacco group and you were the cmo over there now you're president of potential energy which is a climate non-profit so tell us about it and tell us what attracted you to that role yeah, thank you. Yeah, Potential Energy, you nailed it. We're a nonprofit, uh, nonpartisan coalition that's really focused on bringing America's leading creative media analytical people that really, really have expertise in the field of marketing and communication and advertising, bring those talents to bear around affecting the narrative on climate change. And so it's very similar in some ways to what I was doing at uh, Truth Initiative, working on the Truth Campaign. Because we believe that marketing communication does matter. It can change the way people think. It can change the way people act and behave. And so um, while it's a very different issue, some some would argue, and I would probably argue now on day three, it's extremely complicated when you compare all of the moving pieces to tobacco. Um, uh, There's a lot of similarity in terms of the ambition of the organization to make lasting change in the world. Yes, yeah, an interesting comparison, isn't it? Because everyone says, is is big oil having its tobacco moment? You know, there was that uh, tipping point with tobacco when everyone, you know, decided, yeah, this we're done with this now. We and, and there's really no argument about it. We're probably still maybe just before that stage with big oil. Would you say um, it's it's not completely black and white yet? Was that's that a great point? way to frame it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to frame it, and I think an important distinction between the two issues and where there's an opportunity slash challenge. When you look at the number of Americans who are highly concerned about climate change, it sits somewhere around 27%. That that number is significantly lower than what you see in Europe and other countries. And if you look at that 27% of the people who are extremely concerned about climate change, only 7% of them are discussing climate change very often. 
And so there, there's a, on one hand, you can look at that and, and be a little um, uh, um, anxious because there's not a lot of, of movement there. But I also think it, it shows just the unbelievable opportunity to make an impact. And it's not surprising that you actually have such a low, a low number, a low threshold of people engaged in the conversation because, to your point, the uh, big fossil fuel industry has spent hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to try to create a narrative to, to tamp down any conversation that, that we would be having about their complicit nature of, of getting us into this position. And so in some cases, that's very similar to the role that I played at in sort of beating back and, and, and working against the, the counterbalance of the tobacco industry. It's a competitive landscape. And so you have to look at the industries that are seeking to to profit in this arena, and uh, they are extremely motivated and well-funded and have done a magnificent job of getting out in front of people like us on the issue. And so we do have our work cut out for us. Is Potential Energy US-focused then, or is it a global organization, or are you really uh, concentrating on upping that 27%? Because you're absolutely right, you know, being from Europe myself, it does seem to be a bigger issue in Europe, or, or people are more seem more concerned about it. Yeah, and I think there, there are a lot of lessons to be learned there in terms of what is working in Europe and how that will translate into a U.S. market. And I, I think our ambition is going to be both. And some of that's going to be, we'll have to wait and see how, how our success here plays out. But it, the, what makes this interesting, unlike the tobacco industry, is the, this issue is, is it's a global issue. And so cigarettes, you can kind of control the distribution in the US and what happens, the sales that take place in the US around tobacco and combustible cigarettes and vapes, those, that, that pipeline of sales and consumption happens independently of what happens globally. That's not the case when it comes to global issues around climate. And so we're, we are in this together. And so while a lot of our work has been and is focused in the US and, and will continue to be, we, we can't turn a blind eye to the fact that we live in a much more complex ecosystem where what happens in the U.S. does impact what happens in other places in the world and, and vice versa. Yeah, we saw during uh, lockdown, actually, didn't we, with uh, many fewer flights and all, and that actually the climate did clean up. So you did see what could happen if, uh, if certain things weren't weren't happening. But uh just on the energy industry, obviously, you know, we've seen um, Exxon making statements about uh, their strategy. We've seen BP, you know, going towards uh, a fossil free future, at least a fossil fuel free future. That's not easy to say. <laughs> and we've seen the big auto companies like uh, GM and Ford, you know, pushing their agenda towards electric cars. So the industry is at least on the surface, making very bold claims and seems to have some sort of commitment toward it. Unlike, maybe, I mean, I'm not sure I ever bought the Philip Morris thing about uh, a smokeless future. You know, they're still selling billions of cigarettes, especially in developing markets. But uh, where do you stand on that? It's, you know, I, I guess with the marketing and, and communications industries would say, look, we're better off being, being inside the tent, helping these companies and organizations change than we are simply just shutting off the tap, if you like, and leaving it to maybe China or Russia or, or Saudi Arabia to, to dominate the agenda or, or just step into that space. What's, what's your take and what's potential energy's take on that? Yeah, I think it's a fair, it's a fair question. And, and this is where I will, I'll use my three days into the job sort of in terms of, of what I'm, yeah. what I'm yeah, able to, to digest this early on. But I, if we stick with your comparison, which I think is a really good one, 
um, the, the similarities and or the difference between the tobacco industry and, and the fossil fuel industry. I mean, where there are some similarities when you look at some of the questionable behavior, uh, the fossil fuel industry is known for years, for decades, that they were responsible for creating and accelerating the climate change. They knew this years and years ago. They did not communicate that information clearly to the public. And when the information did come to the surface, they did everything they could do to tamp that down. And to, to help get out in front of that, they started peddling uh, a narrative to place the blame on consumers. So the whole idea that my, my carbon footprint and, um, has an impact, which, while that's true, the, the carbon footprint term came from the fossil fuel industry as a way to push the ownership back on the consumer. And they were incredible at that. And so in many cases, there's a direct parallel to the things that we saw the tobacco industry do. They knew that cigarettes were addictive. They knew that cigarettes caused cancer. And they knew that if you use their product collect correctly, you would become addicted and you would die. And so it, the only reason why we know that information today around tobacco is because the industry was forced to hand over documents that, that shed the insight into, into their, their tactics. And so while that's very different in some cases from what the, the fossil fuel industry has done, um, you, we should treat them with a little bit of suspicion and concern because the track record is not clean. And uh, they stand to gain a lot if we move towards green energy, but they also potentially stand some things to lose. Um, and so I think the jury's out. I think the jury's out. I think where we are in a different place, it's very hard to talk about any social good that comes from tobacco. Uh, again, if, if used by, as designed, um, it addicts you and kills you. <laughs> it's a yeah. pretty open and shut case. It's binary. It's much harder to draw that hard line when you're talking about the fossil fuel industry. And so in some, some regard, you can build a really strong case that we need them to be part of the solution. Um, but at the same time, um, there's, there's ample evidence of why we should be suspicious and push them very, very hard to make changes. And again, you mentioned this earlier, when you look at what's happening in Europe, in many cases, you see that the oil and gas companies are out in front with um, bolder predictions and policies and efforts to the change to a, a green and clean uh, and U.S. appears to be lagging behind. And so I, I think, um, yes, short answer is yes, I think we need them to be part of the solution, but I think we also need to put pressure on them to do the right thing as quickly as humanly possible because the time is short and the devastation that's taking place in many cases is irreversible. Yeah, now in the um, we've seen nonprofits and campaigning groups use some pretty strong tactics, or you know, shock tactics and very engaging communications. We've seen we saw that with Truth Initiative. We've seen organisations like Clean Creatives has been doing a bunch of things. How how are you going to deploy tactics like that? Potential Energy is already doing a lot of work. It's done its Science Moms campaign. It's done a lot of climate education ads. How's your strategy going to be? Is it going to be shock tactics or or is, are you going to mix it up? Or tell us a bit about how you, how you plan to do that. Yeah, it's a great question. I think this is another area where the two organizations do have a great deal of that, that, that I would kind of put this into the bucket of um, a commitment to, um, to rigor behind the campaigns themselves. And so uh, Potential Energy has got a great track record of really identifying what is the consumer insight, what, what is actually going on in the mind of the consumer, and how do we meet the consumer where they are. We then move into a testing lab context where we're actually pushing forward different 
messaging platforms understand what's going to work, what's not going to work. It's quantitative and qualitative. All of that done, sort of the market level research and the audience level research before we even pick up a pen and start to develop concepts. Once we develop those concepts, we put them into a controlled pilot launch. And once we know we have something that works, then we scale that, that messaging campaign to much more of a population level, whether that's a specific geography or nationwide. That is the exact same process that we used uh, for the truth campaign. And so how we got to the, the really aggressive campaigns really stemmed from an insight around how do we move culture? How do we break through and have an impact? A little anecdote that I typically refer to, sad commentary, but when I was at Truth, my reality was that there was not a single 15-year-old in America sitting in his basement pining away for a Truth campaign, sadly. <laughs> Even though that, that effort was the most important thing that I was doing, my reality was that I wasn't on the radar for a 15-year-old. Per the conversation we had earlier where 27% of Americans think that climate change is a serious issue, but less than 7% of them are actually talking about it on a regular basis. I don't have a lot of permission just to come in unannounced. And so I have to be very disciplined to think about how do I break through that clutter? A helpful way for me to think about the advertising as sort of an Uber idea is we're competing for market share. Just because we are a nonprofit and we're doing good work doesn't mean that that 15-year-old in his living room and or that individual suburban mom who is trying to take care of her kids and the 50 other things on her to-do list today, it doesn't mean that she's going to give me permission to have a conversation with me about my issue unless I can map it back to he cares about. And I think that's really the opportunity challenge where truth was successful, where potential energy has been successful. When we can identify the things that people care about, connect those dots back to the things that we care about, that's when we're going to have success. That's also what leads to the kind of transformative work that you're speaking of, but it all comes from a really rigorous insight around what consumers need to hear for them to pay attention and take action. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how you tackle that, especially coming from a marketing background and now sort of running a, an organization. So um, um, looking forward to seeing what you do with that, Eric. And thanks for talking us through it. And uh, yeah, and we'll get your take on some of the newsy issues now from uh, starting, Frank, with Edelman, which almost hit $1 billion in revenues last year, which is a bit of a milestone. We've been talking about that for years, haven't we? We never thought we'd get there, but it looks like next year they're going to hit it. Yeah, it was a bit of a parlor game, wasn't it? To to yeah, it was. they were going to hit it this year or or some at some point in the future. Um, so just by the numbers, they're up fifteen point four percent this year, nine hundred eighty four point nine million dollars in terms of constant currency growth. Um, so they are, you know, it almost feels like within inches. Uh, it's becoming the first PR firm to hit the $1 billion in annual revenue mark. And I, I think when they get there, it's it's going to be a bit of a landmark for uh, the entire industry, don't you think? I do, because, um, you know, the thing with a, a PR firm is that it's all billings, isn't it? It's not We're not yeah. talking pass-through revenues here like we are with a media agency or maybe a, even a creative shop. They do buy some media, but that's not, not the, the biggest by no means a massive part of what they do. That's this is mainly billing, so it's a, it is a it's a psychologically very big thing, and uh, it's great for the industry and a great yeah. bounce back really because they they you know like everyone they had a tough year in twenty twenty didn't they where they had to make some job cuts. They did. They did. And they had to make a lot of job cuts. Um, I, I think it's interesting the areas in which um, they cited growth. Um, 
you know, 18% growth among the agency's top 100 clients. Uh, the healthcare business over at Edelman up 22% last year, making it the largest sector uh, across the entire agency, which is, I, it's really noteworthy of, of, I think, where the industry is at and just how much of the work has shifted to healthcare. And, you know, a shameless plug here, if you follow PR Week, you know that we've shifted a lot of attention to healthcare over the past year or two as well. Um, financial communications up 30 I like what you're doing there, Frank. It's good work, yes. my friend. Yeah, appreciate that. And... Um, <laughs> Edelman Data and Intelligence, the intelligence unit it created in fall 2020, such 24% growth through its integration across the entire business. Um, so we yeah, have a lot of interesting numbers uh, in their earnings report. And I guess the question is now, do they hit the $1 billion number next year? I think they probably do, don't they? So, uh, yeah. yeah. And actually, it'll be interesting to see because they're... Um... Their financial year is actually summer to summer, isn't it? So maybe yeah. that in their figures in the summer, maybe they will hit that one billion mark for their for their financial year. So that will be a big uh, a cause for celebration. Um, Eric, you know, it's interesting with Edelman because they've been the butt of a lot of the anti, you know, the climate change um, campaigns, and because they're the biggest, I suppose. But it, it's it's slightly strange to us that that they get all the attention because they are one firm. There are many other PR firms that, uh, you know, have fossil fuel clients and advertising agencies as well, actually, frankly, that they spend a lot more money with. So what's your take on that? Because I'm, I'm guessing you want to engage the marketing and communications community as well, because they, like uh, Frank was saying, their healthcare is their biggest uh, part. It's now the biggest part thing they do. So, you, on the one hand, you want to engage them, but on the other hand, you are going to want to lobby them maybe to uh, to tamp down the work they're doing with some of the big big energy companies. Yeah, it's a great question, I, and I think you you've you've characterized that really well. I mean, I think ultimately our belief is that climate change is first and foremost it's a communications problem, and the the carriers of the message to date have been really successful at engaging us around the crisis but what we really need is to get consumers people on the ground to to understand the urgency of the climate the climate issue and look for ways to be participants and to to look for solutions that are going to make a difference to them in their daily lives and so if you believe that climate change is first and foremost a communications problem there's an enormous need for us to pull together the world's leading marketers, communication experts, and PR firms to shift the tide in the right direction. My sense is, Steve, it, it, this will be a a the conversation we're having now versus the conversation we're going to be having a year from now. It will be vastly different. I know for me, there's a little bit of an awakening to the issue, um, and really understanding the severity of the issue and what role I can play. My hope and sense is that other people are going to quickly come to the table to support us. And um, our call and invitation is whether you are working for an organization that's, that's working with the fossil fuel industry or whether you're working for an organization and you have a particular skill set, we want and need, desperately need um, the marketing and advertising communications community to use their voice to ensure that we can get people to talk about this issue. And yeah. so there's there's plenty of room at the table for people to come and help us. And we desperately need everybody to lean in. Yeah. And I think there's a willingness to to engage. I think um, that's probably a better strategy than just throwing mud at these firms um, because, you know, they, they they can help with the with the mission as well. So um, and there's 
nothing wrong in holding people's feet to the flame but uh, you know i think an engagement uh, strategy is also a good a good way to do it as well so yeah interesting stuff um frank omnicom is its results season generally and omnicom also put out its full year numbers so they they grew as well not as much as edelman though yeah not bad um they're up 4.4% in Q4, 6.3% for the full year. So the Q4 number is actually 368.9 million. And the full year, they're almost at the $1.4 billion mark. And of course, the Omnicom PR group agencies are Fleshman, Hillard, Ketchum, Marina Mar, Communications, Porter Novelli, uh, and a few others. Newly appointed, I guess it's still fair to call him newly appointed, uh, since last year his uh, CEO is Chris Foster, uh, formerly of Burson, Conan Wolf. Um, you know, I, I, I think you would probably put these numbers at, you know, just about what they expected and probably pretty happy with them, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, look, if Edelman is 15%, yeah, I think Omnicom would like to be a bit closer to that than 6.3%, you know, and, uh, it's interesting to put it in perspective. We're talking about Edelman ne- being nearly a billion in revenue. Well, Omnicom's, firms that you laid out there including three big firms uh only comes to 1.4 billion you know altogether. so it just puts the scale of edelman in in context a bit there so yeah i would have thought they would have expected to do a bit better than that to be to be honest but hey 6.3 percent that's 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 not bad growth and it, and it sounded a little bit smaller in q4 as well so you know maybe that was partly due to it being an election year in 2020 maybe that had something to do with it But, yeah, uh, anyway, I would I would got, say that. Yeah, we've got into public to come, and then WPP a little later in the month. So we'll see what we'll see how they do, and talk about those. Um, certainly, talk about into public next week. Um, do you use PR firms, uh, Eric? You know, you uh, did you at Truth, and and do you at Potential? Or will you be looking to? You know, do you have the budgets to do that and uh, to to use PR and other marketing agencies? Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, I think yes, uh, at Truth Initiative on the Truth Campaign, and certainly at Potential Energy. And um, you know, again, I think the the challenge and opportunity is the more voices we have around the table who have an interest in helping us understand what's going on in culture and how to how to position ourselves adequately and extend the message. Um, the better off we're going to be. I, you know, we. We already have a, a very well accomplished team at Potential Energy, but if it's just left up to us, the people we have on staff, we're not going to solve the issue. And so, again, this is a, I, I, it's almost a call to arms for us to bring in the industry. We have tons of agency partners who have donated their time and given us resources on the PR, on the creative side. And so um, we're going to continue to have a very, very um, uh a large table for people to to use their resources and talents and gifts at the, to to make an impact on this issue. Yeah, do you have an agency of record at Potential Energy, or is, is that something you'll look to have, or do you, is it more on a project by project basis? You know, I think TBD on that. We have a lot of agencies that have worked with us. Fenton is has been working with us on the PR side. We have a lot of creative agencies who've done work for us in the past. We've also worked with the Ad Council over the past couple of years on some campaigns and. Um, and so I think, you know, for us, the challenge and opportunity is to think through, you know, where do we need to work directly with agencies? We have a creative uh, department internally, Casey Rand, who is the ECD Adroga, is a powerhouse creative in her own right, is, is running our internal shop, so to speak. 
But I also think looking at how do we work directly with platforms and other content creators to ensure that the message is not just solely coming into the ecosystem through an ad campaign, but you know, how are we thinking about changing that cultural narrative at a population level um, so that some of that's direct, some of that's going to be more indirect, some will be branded, some will be unbranded. Um, that's really what we need to think about is like, again, how do we control the entire ecosystem or have an impact there um, so that we can have an impact on the way people are thinking and talking about the issue. Yeah, for sure. And Frank, sticking with the agency world, 360 PR has made its first acquisition. Yeah, they're on a bit of a roll. Uh, so they are picking up a lot of apparel, beauty, personal care experience by uh, acquiring the lifestyle agency CRC. It's the first acquisition, like you said, in the history of 360 PR. C, uh, CRC founder Cindy Riccio will serve as an EVP and GM of the CRC business, which will be absorbed into 360's New York office. Um, that office, the New York office, has been busy because that is the 360 office that also launched the um, the independently operated PR shop, uh, Three Cheers PR, uh, which is going to be focused on the adult beverage industry. Okay, so good good stuff going on at 360PR. Frank, are you looking forward to the big game on Sunday? I know Kevin Zitzman, our production editor, is not because he's a Buffalo Bills fan and they unfortunately got knocked out. But uh, it should be a good game, shouldn't it? I, it's a tough game to call. It's a tough game to call. Ultimately, I, I think the Rams will, will win and I think they will... Um, their defense will be a bit much for uh, Cincinnati's offensive line. But uh, look, Cincinnati has surprised everybody for, for the last two rounds now. So it could, anything could happen. Well, I'm claiming Cincinnati with my Kentucky roots. And um, as there is no no team in Kentucky, no professional team in Cincinnati airports in Kentucky. So I'm claiming that. But so, uh, yeah, should be a good game. What, what are we seeing in terms of Marcoms around it? Obviously, it's the biggest set piece of the year, isn't it? Especially from an advertising point of view. Has anything caught your eye? I, so we're always, you know, keeping an eye on, on the earned media aspects of uh, what's going to happen. And um, so it's a $7 million price tag this year for 30 seconds of their time. Um, but uh, if you're going to go the Twitter route, we had a great Q&A this week with Ryan Oliver, who is the senior director, director of um, Twitter Next, excuse me which is the strategic arm of Twitter marketing and works and, and gives insights and advice to business partners. Um, and, and, you know, he, he has some really uh, interesting ideas. First of all, a lot of, lot of crypto, right? So a lot of crypto advertising yeah. this year. They're, it's going to be interesting to see what sort of work they do on social media. And in a lot of, a lot of cases, these are new brands, right? The, the crypto.coms of the world. And I, I think, people are looking to see, you know, how, how mature their social media presence is and how mature the, the parts of their business are that go alongside, um, alongside the earned media. And, and I think the thing we always look for is not just what are the, the planned activations, um, you know, what are the planned activations, but, but how do the brands respond on social media when and if uh, anything happens? So, uh, yeah, I think that's a th the thing I'm looking to see. You can't really predict yet because it's almost dependent on events. Yeah, that famous Oreo moment, right, when the lights went out uh, a few years ago. So um, you can't always predict that. Although Reddit did a nice thing, didn't it, last year with a five-second ad that got loads of attention. 
Eric, it'd be nice to get a little 30-second spot, wouldn't it, for potential energy? Someone uh, gave you that as a pro bono thing. Have, have you sure ever managed, did you manage to do that at Truth at all? I can't, I can't remember. Yeah, in the early days, yeah, we did. We did, uh, you know, to your point, it's, it, it's a high-risk, high-reward. And so I, I applaud the, the brands that get into that space. And, and I love the Reddit example that you mentioned last year, a mm. really creative way to to use that format and kind of hijack that format. And uh, I think what Frank was mentioning earlier, one of the things that we'd found truth, was there's so much going on in sort of the surround sound of what's happening at the Super Bowl that for us, it ended up being very cost effective for us to play in the digital space where the conversation was taking place versus actually showing up in the, in the content itself. It's a really steep price tag. But to your point, Steve, I, I will take this opportunity to say that if anyone would like to donate 30 seconds to us, we would gladly <laughs> We'd gladly jump into that to that uh, to that arena to to have the conversation. We can certainly make that connection. So yeah, thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, it's interesting with the crypto as well because there are environmental concerns there, aren't there, with NFTs and things like that that you, you don't automatically think of them as having environmental um, connections, but they certainly do. So you know that the, the arguments and debates sort of span. On, it's not just sort of pure fossil fuels, is it? No, it's not. And I, I do think you bring up a really valid point where, you know, there is this sort of tension between what is my individual responsibility versus what is sort of a collective action. And both of them are very, very important. And when you really start to peel back the onion of the environment we live in, in terms of how the decisions that we make and the, the infrastructure that we're part of, how that is dependent on the fossil fuel industry, um, we're all complicit to a certain degree. And, and so that's part of the, the challenge in terms of thinking about the messaging, because we want people to be aware, but we also want them to be empowered to do something. And so it is a, um, it's a very thorny issue and a very delicate one to, to weave in terms of uh, alerting people, but then also not just leaving them despondent, but giving them a pathway forward to take action. Yeah, I think uh, people in Marcoms are very aware of that, you know, things, thinking about things like getting back to business travel, going back to Cannes for the annual advertising festival, you know, the people are thinking, well, is that, you know, or going to Davos, uh, a lot of people flying in, you know, even the, the COP26 conference, you know, loads of people flying in from all around the world, it's a sort of contradiction in terms, so it's definitely part of uh, everyone's narrative these days. Frank, uh, Joe Rogan was doing another Instagram video at the weekend, wasn't he? For, not, not from his back garden this time. It looked like his office, but uh, he'd had to respond again to this, the next stage in this uh, controversy around uh, his podcast on Spotify. Yeah, uh, the apologies have been piling up from Joe Rogan recently. Uh, the latest one is um, in response to Spotify pulling it. It seems it could be even in the dozens uh, of podcast episodes of him. Um, in in response to uh, it emerging that that he used racially insensitive uh, and, and frankly hateful language um, in episodes in the past, and this is on top of all of the controversy about um, about uh, the the medical disinformation uh, that you know he has he has said himself, but also you know from from guests that he's had on the show over the past number of months. Uh, about the effectiveness of vaccines, whether they work, whether people should get vaccinated, and um, and things like that. So it's it's a world of controversy for Spotify right now. Um, 
up until this point, which was was really not that much of a controversial brand at all, but but in a world of controversy. And their CEO, Daniel Ek, uh, you know, he apologized to the company's own staff this week for the language that Rogan had used, but said he didn't feel it was right to uh, to silence him, to use his words. Um, and, yeah, that uh, didn't necessarily go over great, did it? It was like, why, why did, when Spotify took over, that everyone knew that these uh, podcasts existed. Right. Why did they not just, not, you know, not, not upload those particular episodes and there was one episode wasn't there where he interviewed the leader of the proud boys you know which you you know right. uh, you you could definitely have taken the chance not to upload that one so um yeah i don't think they're handling it perfectly and it's interesting that he's talking directly to his audience which is his brand and 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 you know it it works the week before because the share price on the monday after his video you know definitely improved so it was only yes. when spotify's numbers came out actually so i guess the issue here eric is influencers you know the way narratives are formed these days is very different isn't it so you used to just put a maybe put a print ad out or a tv ad or something like that but now you're getting third parties to tell your stories or to to weigh in or they do whether you like whether you engage them or not they you know they're going to weigh in so it's a much more complex environment isn't it to for when you're trying to get messages as cross like you are at potential energy it is and i i think you're you're building the case for what we talked about earlier where uh where words matter and i think what we say how we say it uh how we position ourselves whether you are pro joe rogan or con words words matter and i do think that's something we have to be very mindful of in terms of the strategies we deploy um, because I, if this were as simple as developing the right 30 second spot, came up with the perfect ad and putting it into the universe and changing people's mind, that, that would have been done already. <laughs> but it's not the way people make decisions. Um, I think back to what I decided to eat last night. Like I had a, there's a very logical reason of what I should have had for dinner. But then there's the id in all of us that tells me what I really want to do. I have a desire to do something different. And so I think attacking any issue just from the pure logic standpoint without really addressing the human condition and thinking through how do you influence the way people feel about issues, the context in which they live, having empathy for who they are and what they're dealing with, those things matter, which is why having other people carry the message that look like me and sound like me matters a tremendous amount. We have a campaign out that's called science moms and it's from leading scientists across the, the country who are moms and they're trying to navigate being a mom and being a professional but also they distill the science and the information around climate change in a way that's accessible for people who are, who are similar to them it's a very diverse group of science moms and you won't see potential energy branded anywhere around that effort because it's not necessary but what you have is, is women sharing their stories. They're talking about the difficulties of being a mom and raising a child and their fears and their expectations. And they're taking this really complex concept around uh, climate change and distilling it into chunks of information that are, that are human-based. And it's focused on these individual stories. And so we're having a lot of success with that. And I think that's probably going to be one of the key, the key elements to our playbook moving forward is, again, thinking about... How do you influence people? Sometimes you're going to convince them with the facts, but you're also going to really need to meet them where they are and talk to them at eye level. What's important to them on the ground? So whether you love or hate Joe Rogan, he's a classic example of somebody who has an incredible amount of influence because he, people identify with him. I think Absolutely. you mentioned this earlier, Frank. And so I think we can all learn from that. Again, whether you love him or hate him, I think there's a really valuable lesson there. 
Yeah, he gets 11 million listeners. That's more than, you know, many of the highest profile TV programs, for example. So, you know, he, he does have a really uh, influential audience and, uh, you know, he has a responsibility as well but because of that. So, yeah, we'll see how that one plays out. Let's save the best and biggest news till last, Frank. And I know you're a big fan of this. Pets in PR. It's uh, it's launched and it's celebrating the pets that have helped us get through the pandemic. Did you like the first pet? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm not going to uh, judge individual pets. I don't. I don't think that's fair to <laughs> any of the people that have really put themselves out there. Um, uh, but this week we have um, we have uh, Real Chemistry's Peter Duckler talking about uh, Minnie. Uh, it, it's um, it's a it's dog. Uh, it's a dog. Yeah, no, it's a it's a dog. It looks like um, she's got a lot of personality. Yeah. Um, it's a four year old miniature poodle mix. Um, and uh, she's, uh, you know, she's having a great time while he's working from home. And, uh, you know, um, I can it's feel a little the enthusiasm for this, uh, this program oozing out of you, Frank. And- I, I, I um, you know, I, I, uh, I like some types of dogs better than I'm, I'm going to stop now because I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble. Uh, actually, <laughs> a lot of qualifying yeah. going on there, Frank. There's a lot of qualifying yes. going on there. <laughs> yes. Eric, have you got a pet that's helped you through the pandemic? Yes, we are. We are a COVID pet case study. And so we, we, we we did purchase a Bernadoodle, and we were told the Bernadoodle would be no more than forty pounds, and he is closing in on a hundred. And so my, <laughs> my wife likes to say that we were burned by the doodle. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a substantial beast. So he's, yeah. a, he's a he's a small horse, is what he's turned out to be. <laughs> well, good luck with that. And uh, if you, yeah, if you want to put your pet forward, anyone out there, um, contact Diana Bradley on the team. She's uh, got lots of potential different. We've got lots of dogs so far, some cats. We've got a horse, but we're we're always looking for some interesting ones. So uh, do do let her know. We'll be featuring one a week, and we'll be having a poll at the end to see who, whose is the favourite. So yeah, it's all happening over at PR Week. Eric, thanks so much for joining us, and congrats on the new role. And looking forward to seeing what you do at Potential Energy. Thank you very much. It was a privilege to be with you both. And Frank, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thanks yeah, for having me on. Enjoy the Super Bowl and um, sure. yeah, watch uh, for Frank's tweets. They're always a highlight of the year. His uh, during the Super Bowl and uh, the rest of the team. So we'll we'll be tweeting around that. But so uh, yeah, that's all we got time for. Don't forget the PR Week Awards, the big night. It'll be the First time in person for three years. So uh, looking forward to that, getting back to getting everyone together, a real celebration on uh, March 16th. Make sure you've got your ticket. Uh, Healthcare and Pharmacoms Awards, if you... uh, you should have got your entries in by now. We're right up on the deadline. The event is taking place on the 10th of May. The Global Awards will be in London on the 18th of May. And the final deadline for those is the 11th of Feb. So that's this Friday. So please make sure you've got those submitted. The Brand Film Awards will be on May the 26th. That will be a virtual event. You've got until the 24th of February. And then the final deadline is the 6th of March for entries. And our agency business report, if you haven't got the form yet to complete to submit yourselves to the agency rankings make sure you uh, reach out on that abr at prweek.com but that's all we got time for we'll see you next time on the pr week
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.